Hi, and welcome to Revolutionary Radio, a youth-driven program to equip students with the information necessary to form and exercise intelligent opinions. My name is Sam Swayze. Joining me today is Evan Hayes. Hello, Evan. Hi, Sam. Today, we will be covering challenges to popular ideas about education, a recent Supreme Court case concerning special education, and lastly, and this is probably the, the, the section in which we're going to become most heated. So you definitely want to stick around. <laughs> the role of athletics in American public high schools and high schools in general. It's, it's going to be a discussion more so about what place those, th- those organizations have in high schools and, and what function they serve and not as for whether or not they should or shouldn't be in schools. I think everyone can, can fairly assume that Sports are pretty nice. (laughs) Um, If you'd like more information or have questions about today's broadcast, you can send us an email at revolutionaryradio01 at gmail.com or DM us on Twitter using our handle radradio1. Uh, Sam, you want to kick us off with the the first topic? What what, what question are we trying to answer today by Hmm. by discussing this? Let me consult my eight ball. Uh, Do popular (laughs) ideas about how to better education still work. And this has been brought to light in a number of discourses recently, uh, including if you, if you were privileged enough to watch the uh, entertainment channel, uh, Lindsay DeVos, Senate hearing. Um, <laughs> so I never thought I could say that C-SPAN was an entertainment channel. Hey, but, now you can. But after watching just what the Senate hearings did to Betsy DeVos, I can't, I can't deny that it was pretty funny. It was, I mean, terrifying, terrifying when you consider the what what it could mean for public education in general. But funny just to watch well, someone, yeah, yeah. someone with no experience. Well, yeah, and and that's in the same way that like the debates from this past election cycle have been like reality TV shows that you didn't really want to be reality. <laughs> it shouldn't be. I mean, I think it's kind of interesting that we call the shows that we watch reality TV. I mean. If I wanted reality TV, then I would turn off the TV. <laughs> I'd just be, be real. That's more grim than what's on the TV. That's, that's true. There's, there's too much spectacle involved in, in our perception of reality. I think that's for sure. What does NPR's education team want us to care about, Evan? So, so, so basically... What they, are the five big takeaways? <laughs> um, so, so the first, the biggest uh, one that they mentioned was achievement standards. Now, if Sam, if you want to discuss a little bit about what NPR said about achievement standards, I can clarify exactly what there are. Basically, it's achievement standards are any method for tracking or, or tracking or, or checking up on the progress of students in schools. And it could be in the form of grades. It could be in the form of, you know, as, as uh, Betsy DeVos would, would not be able to tell the difference between uh, either growth or progress. Uh, and, uh, you know, the, the, what these essentially are is any method that a school system or, or a public education system can use to tell how their students are doing and evaluate if, if students have deficiencies in certain areas. Unfortunately and consequently, they, they also become part of the, the infrastructure in which colleges can judge students. So it's, it's no longer just about... Uh, the achievement standard is no longer just an issue of can we get students to achieve. It's a question of which students are achieving. We're going to pick those, and we're going to leave behind the other ones. So what, what exactly did the NPR 
hosts say specifically about the uh, achievement standards in, in, in terms of, I guess, uh, give, us, give us a paraphrase. Yeah, so the NPR team and, you know, I would, would both agree that it's far more beneficial to measure, and, or measure growth and progress um, at, at any point, uh, no matter the starting point. So <clears throat> I guess we, we have to meet these students where they are. We can't just we can't come in and impose standards and expect them to be met within a certain number of years because not everyone starts at the same level. Uh, you take high schools from different areas across a state, let alone the nation, and, and there's going to be some serious disparities. So uh, I think I, I think he's really the team is really uh, you know correct when they say that this, this is something we need to uh, take a step in kind of you know, reanalyzing, you know, how, how do we approach this? Um, Evan, can you talk to us a little bit about achievement tests? This is the second big idea in NPR, the NPR as the education team, uh, uh, initiative to reevaluate education. So basically similar to, to the standards that we use to grade students on achievement tests are basically standardized tests that should, but don't necessarily often address what students are actually learning. Uh, so, a, a, an achievement test would be something like uh, map testing, or maybe even the ACT. And what it's supposed to do is look at the standards that are set forward in those in those achievement standards, and then test people on them. And we want to figure out where students have deficiencies with these tests. But as Sam, you know, so so eloquently put, not everyone starts from the same playing field, and a lot of times what can be seen is that it, it actually hurts students when they take a test that's supposed to indicate the 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 level of proficiency that they have at a certain uh, grade say say you take a map test that's supposed to indicate as to whether or not you have a third grade reading level but if you don't you're obviously going to be hurt and that's going to only confirm the idea that a student may have that they're just never going to be able to achieve uh, a sufficient standard in that area. <laughs> Sam, Sam's found a a a little spray bottle in our in our station that's full of. It looks like. Is that rubbing alcohol? <laughs> Why is that here? Is that for like disin? I feel like I should. Man, you know that that just raised a lot of doubts about the cleanliness of the headphones that I'm wearing. If they have like purifying alcohol in here. For, for some piece of equipment, then I'm going to probably just spray it on every piece of equipment. <laughs> so, so yes, uh, to, to return to topic, achievement tests are basically just our statistical way of measuring whether or not a student meets achievement standards. But the problem with those two things is that, first, those standards aren't necessarily applicable to every single student from every single demographic. And second, those tests don't cater for that disparity. Those tests don't recognize that someone might not have grown up with access to books or a, or a public library. And they don't test for the fact that some students might not have the same ability to meet standards or even start at the same level as other students. Now, moving forward, and if, if we want to, you know, allude to the Senate hearings again, I'm sure we could. Do you want to tell us a little bit about uh, school choice, the third, the third big idea? Yes, but let me, let me ask you a question, Evan. Do you believe... Nope. <laughs> no questions today. <laughs> hold, hold on. Let me get it out. Do you believe in accountability? <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> Oh, you know, it only took. Shout, only shout took, out! Shout out to Tim it took, Kane. It took ten minutes for me to forget the uh, the term I was supposed to remember, but you know that's all right. 
um, account for, for those of you who don't who don't know what what Sam is a uh, is really referencing here in the confirmation hearings for for secret <clears throat> well potential Secretary DeVos, um, Senator Tim Kaine kept asking questions about whether or not equal accountability can be expected from uh, charter schools or, or schools that receive public funding but not necessarily are public schools and. This, Ms. DeVos just continually answered, I believe in accountability. Well, that, the question was equal accountability, not just accountability. I, I think we're hard-pressed to find anyone who doesn't believe in accountability, <laughs> aside from maybe the members of the, of the Congress who tried to gut the Ethics Committee. But, <laughs> you know, that, that's a story for another day. I'm gonna, I could go on, for the, or go on about this for a, a long time, but we, we, we've got very few minutes so uh, let, let's, let's talk about school choice, Sam. What, what do you think? Well, I think it's absurd that rubbing alcohol has an expiration date. Uh, <laughs> does, it have, does it have like an extra fermentation date? Wow. 2018. When did, I wonder when that was bought. I wonder if that's like the sell-by date for rubbing alcohol. I don't know. I, I didn't know it expired. Uh, but how that relates to school choice, it doesn't. Uh, but <laughs> if it did, uh, we're, we're talking about um, whether or not... Uh, well, actually, I, I think I can make a connection. Unlike what we would expect rubbing alcohol to do, school choice can very easily go bad. Ha-ha! <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, wow. I need to thank my, my literature teacher for, yeah. for allowing me such a quick mind that can put, can, can put metaphors together. So. That's very nice. <laughs> school choice is very flammable. Um, we've, we discussed school choice before on this show, and it's often a very politically charged issue. Uh, you know, while there are many arguments for school choice, um, we often emphasize the ability to democratize education and allow for competition. There's often little difference between private, charter, and public education. Uh, now, Hattie says that, and Hattie's part of the NPR team um, trying to redesign education, that teacher choice may be a more important factor. Now, that's a new one. I, I hadn't heard so much of teacher choice. Well, I think the, I don't think that teacher choice can be equated to school choice. And I might be disagreeing with Mr. John Hattie here, and, and how they say that teacher choice is an important factor when we consider school choice. I think teacher choice is an important factor in general because, and this isn't a, this isn't a direct attack on any particular teachers, but I think that in general, public schools can say that they're lacking in teachers that are trained to the capacity to, to prepare students for, for a competitive business world that they're going to inevitably have to enter enter into and, and a competitive college applications world that students are already entering into. And I think that teacher choice is almost a separate issue in the fact that it's an issue for every single school and not just schools that are covered by the, the broader issue of, you know, public or private or charter schools and school choice in general. I mean, obviously, yes, parents will want to pick schools that have better teachers, but I think that teacher choice is more of an issue that can be fielded in the public education spectrum. I mean, if, if anything, we should just make public education far more, as, as Ms. DeVos would say, accountable 
uh, for, for the teachers they employ and not say, well, you know, if we can't have a few schools with good teachers, we'll just have many schools where there are bound to be some good teachers just sort of scattered about. I mean, that, I feel like that would just be almost distributing the problem. <clears throat> I, I do agree. Good Lord. <laughs> Jeez, God. <laughs> you know, it's... We need to start streaming this so people can see what you do to me, Sam. Sam just handed me this this piece of paper that he wrote a very kind note on, but he has soaked in rubbing alcohol from that stupid thing, and he put it over here, and it smells like good. Jeez, I'm peed. I won't lie. Does it smell like chloroform? It doesn't. Well, you know, I wouldn't know what that smells like, Sam. But I will say this: it it, it smells suspiciously. Like my friend's house on New Year's. That, that's all I'll say about that. <laughs> um, or, or most of the, of the campuses that I've visited for, for, for college. I don't know if that's a good sign. Um, what, what do you think, Sam? What, what are, I mean, you and I typically, we don't necessarily disagree on the idea of school choice, but in terms of teacher choice, do you think that teacher choice is, an, is, is a problem that's mitigated by school choice? Because there are some people that I'm sure would argue that teacher choice is the most important issue here, and school choice just allows for more selective teacher choice. Yeah, you know, I'd say that it is probably... I don't know, I'd still have to agree that uh, teacher choice um, is probably covered in this whole idea of having students being able to choose uh, which school they'd like to attend. Um, I, I think, really, it comes... A lot of it comes down to how, how, how well a teacher can respond to his or her class, and a lot of that to do with class size. Uh, I, I definitely think we need to reduce the number of students in classrooms, um, because of course that really aligns with my own philosophy of having smaller schools to begin with. If we if we had instead of these these you know ginormous 25, 2600 school those 2600 student schools, where you know where, where very few people know each other or or lose contact with the school's administrators. Um, I say we have more schools with less students. Um, and it's one of the things that this NPR team found was that smaller class sizes seemed to be a really good idea. Um, and the students with say 35 students versus classes with six students, uh, you know, in smaller classes you're able to collaborate with your peers and instructor. Um, you know, but however, Hattie says that while small classes may, can be beneficial, um, it needs to be paired with close teacher support. You see, that's interesting because I, I almost feel like that contradicts the point about teacher choice being more important than school choice. I mean, the, yes, they, they allude to teacher support, but if, if the argument goes that for if you can have a class with less students per teacher then more schools would be better. So school choice would be good. But I think that that's a very crucial point that Mr. Hattie notes in the sense that those classes will mean nothing if the, if the teacher that's teaching those six students doesn't know anything. So I guess the, the general consensus with the term with, with small class sizes is that we have to proceed with, with much caution. And if you're ever offered to take a seminar class to teach you about something, make sure that the, the person teaching that seminar class meets your standards. Uh, I, I, I can't speak from experience, but I can say 
that when there there are, are classes that are more discussion based, if you don't have a very strong base of knowledge to begin with, and having a good teacher helps achieve that, then a discussion based class is almost worthless. I mean, you'll it'll basically just be instead of you know, 30 kids listening to a lecture from one teacher, it'll just be one student listening to a lecture from five other students and a teacher. And that, that would not be good, especially considering how, as we stated above, not all students are, are, are at the same level of standards and not all students start at the same level of standards. So it, it would almost be a contradictory to, to me to say that Small class sizes is always good when you consider what teacher choice um, uh, teacher choice throws in as a factor and those standards because you know uh, small classes are also much harder to evaluate on a on a wide scale. I mean, you and I can both speak about statistics, but it takes thirty. If if you're gonna do a bell curve, it takes thirty students for that curve to become normal. <laughs> central Central Limit Theorem would would prohibit it. So, so six students obviously would be very difficult to grade. I mean, how do you calculate the average when there are only six students? If everyone bombs the test, and it's very likely that that could happen, then everyone will just get an A based on that curve. <laughs> I mean, it's much easier for six students to fail a test with relatively similar score scores than all students to fail a test with relatively <clears throat> similar scores. And that's not to say that curves are a bad thing, but they're a tool to be used by teachers. And it's not something that can be used uh, very, very widely when there are only six students receiving that curve. Uh, which I guess moves us on to, to the next and most pressing resource concern, money. <laughs> uh, as, as you know, we've talked about Public education is kind of shafted very often in terms of money. Um, so so what, what this study by NPR concluded is that the best way to, to right now, basically about $40,000 are spent to establish baseline, baselines and meet needs of every student in the country. Now, they found no correlation between the spending on a student and the success of that student. What, what do you think about that, Sam? Because I would think it would be inverse. I feel like the more, the more we spend on our students, probably the, the better we could you know, prepare them. Well, well, I think it goes right back to your defense about, you know, yes, we may have smaller class sizes, but if our teachers you know, still aren't uh, exceptional, then, then what's the point of having smaller classes? We're just going to have the same problem that we began with. Uh, for the same reason, giving more money to students is great, uh, so long as it's being used in a way that can uh, benefit even the students that don't see learning as a priority, even the students that don't rank education high. Maybe they put it below sports, far below sports, which we'll get to in a second. But, <clears throat> you know, I, I really do think that if we, uh, if we were smarter with the way we spent money, we might... Um, you know, we, we might not be spending, what, $40,000 per student? I mean, is, it, is that what I'm saying? I mean, that, that's, just, that's just borderline ridiculous. Well, um, it's, it's, I think it's only borderline ridiculous when you consider the fact that there was no observed correlation. Because that, if, if we spend $40,000 on a student, 
and that student was proven to succeed more, then I'd say it's completely worth it. I think that that's a, a student that's ready to enter the workforce will easily generate $40,000 for the, the economy of the state and the country. Yeah. But when there's no correlation between success and the amount we're spending, then at that point, it just screams bureaucratic waste to me. And I don't think that that's something that should be in our schools. I mean, how much bureaucratic waste can there be? Most of, the Most of the people employed by the Department of, of Education, I assume, are teachers or, or people who operate with students. You know, especially, too, if, if the funding's not equal. So if we're, if we're getting, you know, $40,000 to one student over here, uh, but half that to another student over here, uh, regardless mm. whether it's a correlation or not. That is true. It, it was said the, that's the average. Right. So That's we don't we app. don't know we don't know you know some students may be getting more some students may be getting less <laughs> have they got a confidence interval on that <laughs> God we haven't, we haven't done confidence intervals yet so I, 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 won't, I can't I won't I can't spoil it for yeah. you <laughs> don't I know you're excited to learn about confidence intervals Sam but <laughs> we we can talk about the uh, sample mean and the distrib- sampling distribution of the sample mean um, you know you know we could but but I think that's <laughs> we 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 could but I don't stay think... tuned for a special episode where we discuss <laughs> nothing but sampling distributions oh man that I could I could do that let's, let's do it <laughs> if you if you if you really want us to we will <laughs> just just let us know and we can give you all the statistics you want. Um, well, so we've, we haven't got too much time left for this segment. Um, let's, let's talk about implications very briefly. What do you, if you could identify one of these practices that you would see changed, one of these prevailing notions about education that you could see altered in some way, which would it be? You know, that's, that's a good question. And you know what it would be for me? It would be achievement tests. If, if we want to make, if we want to make our schools a place um, uh, where we can, like, the only way for us to improve the qualities of our schools is to have an effective metric uh, for understanding where they are and understanding where they need to go. Uh, you know, businesses, businesses, people, businessmen, anyone, you know, you don't get very far if you don't know what you're striving for. Uh, or, or you don't know what you want or need to accomplish. And the same thing is with these schools. If we're going back to, we're spending $40,000 on the student, but the student doesn't need $40,000 to, uh, you know, meet a certain threshold of an achievement, then why are we doing that? Uh, we, need to, we need to be honest, we need to be brutally honest with where we stand as a school. What we do right, what we do wrong, what we can do better. And, and for that reason, I think we need to completely reevaluate with do achievement test. Or maybe not completely reevaluate, but we need to take a serious look at how we measure the achievements or how we measure uh, where certain schools and certain students stand within a school or within a district or within a state. Mm-hmm. So that's what I would change. I, I agree. And with that, I think we'll move on to the, to the, the second major implication. If, if any of these were to change, and, and I asked your opinion first just because I, I, I care for your insight, and I, I'm sure our, our listeners do as well. But if, if one were to change, which do you think it would be? Because obviously, and I think that people can understand this by just listening to the show, most of the, the National Education Department, or the, the, the Department of Education, rather, I don't know why I phrased it that way, most, most of the policymakers do not share our views. Or if they do, they've not been able to act on them. So I guess my question would be, what do you think is prohibiting changes in these big ideas? And if one were to change, which do you think it would be? Well, right now, I, I believe it's student, that um, the lack of an accommodation for student voice is inhibiting changing our achievement standards. 
If we were to talk to students and figure out how they felt that they should be measured, that how their success should be plotted against the successes of other students, or how their failures should be plotted against the failures of other students, I think we would end up with a, a much more effective uh, method of measurement. Unfortunately, our, our lawmakers in, in Frankfurt don't see that. Um, if they did, uh, that's the one I would be willing to put my money on to be the first one to change. Because, you know, we're constantly revaluing re the way we measure students and measure schools. Um, it's about time we do it with a little bit more input from the stakeholders who matter the most. Mm -hmm. I, I think that's a, a good observation. I'd, I'd say probably charter schools, and that's just because of the new administration. Oh. Um, I think that that's probably the most pressing matter in Frankfurt right now in terms of education. Policymakers have been leaning towards charter schools. My only hope is that when they do a lot, a lot for charter schools, they just make them as accountable as possible. Because as we've seen in places like Michigan and in Ohio, it's it's it can either be a great boon to the educational quality or it can turn into the Wild West. And we don't want to see that second part. We want our education to be as, as accountable as possible. And with that, I think that we're going to break for a short public service announcement. We will be back soon. Stay tuned and thank you for tuning in. And we're back. Did you miss us? <laughs> Dramatic. I appreciated that one. <laughs> were My you, name? Were you classically trained? <laughs> How many times have we said that? I, too many. Way too uh, many. My name is Sam Swayze. I uh, sharing the table today with Evan Hayes. Uh, in case you were just now tuning in, we just finished our discussion of NPR's five uh, most important uh, reevaluations of education, things that we should probably look into if we wanted to improve our systems across the nation. Mm -hmm. uh, right now, we've got a question and we're happy to announce, drumroll please. So this is our... The people in the station probably just got really freaked out. We just started just <laughs> slapping our hands on, like there are people here. They are, they are. Outside. There are people here, yes. We have our first submission from a student from Tate's Creek High School. He chose to remain anonymous, but his question was, you know, what responsibility and to what degree do public schools have in educating special needs students? You know, and that's a great question. Um, <clears throat> Evan, tell us a little bit about the history of special education with the Supreme Court. So, so we got this question and we decided to, to research it. And we found out that it was basically uh, actually a very, very pressing issue. So the Supreme Court uh, recently heard the argument in a case called Andrew F. versus Douglas County. And the case concerns a boy with autism whose parents, basically very unhappy with, with his progress and in a public school, enrolled him in a private school and sought reimbursement for the tuition. Currently, uh, it stands for that particular school at $70,000 a year, which is, you know, that's, that's not cheap. Under the Individuals with Disabilities in Education Act, or uh, children with disabilities are entitled to free public education that addresses their needs. Um, so different lower courts have disagreed with what that statute means and what program schools have to provide for special needs students, but that is the ruling of the Supreme Court on the issue. So, so the lawyer for the parents that brought this case up said that public schools have to provide substantially equal educational opportunities as those private schools. And he was met with, obviously, very, very stiff resistance from some of the justices. Uh, 
I think it was Ruth Bader Ginsburg stated that the court rejected the standard that the Board of Education versus Rally uh, set, and Justice Elena Kagan said that she had some feeling that the word equality is a poor fit for this statute. Now that's very condemnatory, I'd say. The court also showed uh, concern for financial burdens that could put poor or that could put poor school districts in jeopardy. Justice Alito pointed out his concern saying, no matter how expensive it would be and no matter what the impact what the impact is, let's say a poor school district would be on the general student population can't be considered. I, I don't know if that quote was mistyped, but I'm, I'm not really sure what it means. <clears throat> basically, it's a bit, it's a bit cryptic. Ba basically, the gist is that in terms of considering the general student population, cost can't be considered. And we talked about this last time when we uh, talked about that average $40,000 spent on a student. If that is proving itself to work, then the cost should never be considered. But the, the question is whether or not that money is actually having an effective benefit to that student. So in interpreting the statute and determining the standards to use for public schools' obligation to special needs students, the justices and attorneys quibbled over the right word like meaningful, equal, significant, or appropriate. So much, much like the rest of this world, we've ground to a screeching halt because people have a difference of words. <laughs> I know, I, I, I can't wait for the, the day when, when someone can just make up a word and have it added to the Oxford New English Dictionary. And then we can just go around saying whatever we like. It might be a little bit more effective than arguing over the meanings. Um, so we, when we considered the question that we received from this student, we thought, you know, what, what could we discuss on the show? I mean, this was the obvious court case that, that set forward the precedent that are, that's being followed uh, currently, but what, what can we extrapolate upon when we think about it? And we thought, you know, how, how, <laughs> because the big debate was how we should measure uh, an education. Can we consider an education in one place ever completely equal to the education of either a private institution or another public school with maybe a different curriculum. So how, Sam, how would you define or determine, you know, the meaningfulness or the significance, or, or maybe even, I guess the word would be appropriateness of an education? How, how do we do that? I, I don't know that we can. I mean, I just don't know how we can... I don't know. And, and this... You might be thinking that we're we're off topic with this, but the the question that this is being derived from is the fact that spe special needs students obviously are are just that they have needs that are not necessarily they're they're not average needs. And when you consider what a public education should do for people with those special needs, it's not necessarily the same as another student. So what is an adequate education for someone who is you know you know capable of of taking all of the classes that, that a normal student would take, and how should we comport those standards or, uh, t to someone who may not have that same capacity? And that's a, it's, it's, it's obviously, I mean, if the Supreme Court couldn't really answer it, it's, it's, it's pretty difficult. I know, I guess I think that was a compliment, then you asked me to define it. <laughs> and, Sam, you, you should take basically everything I do as a compliment. If it were up to me, there, there are a few reasons why I actually get out of bed in the morning and, and 
One of them is breakfast, and the other one are, are people like, like you as a good co-host. Yes! <laughs> so congratulations, you're on par with bacon and eggs. Which, to yes. me, is one of the highest levels of achievement. I, I can do no better. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, you quit while you're ahead, man. <laughs> um, but, as long as I come before milk. <laughs> um, yeah, so, so I guess the, the real solve for this problem would be to, to understand the economic drives behind education. I mean, we've talked about the purpose of education before on this show very frequently, but we, and, and we continually emphasize the point that education should be a general preparation for life and a, a, a way to inspire people to really, really love learning. I mean, the goal of education would be to make sure people don't want to stop educating themselves. And I think that that's something not only that we fail with right now, but it also makes this question very difficult. I mean, if we can't even teach the average student how to enjoy education, then how are we going to start catering that desire to other people? How are we going to do that to someone who doesn't have the same circumstance as that average student? It's, it's a very, very difficult question to answer. And it's, it's one that we're very glad was, was submitted to us, considering that we, the questions we write for ourselves, typically we already have the answers to, and it, it doesn't And what good, what good is asking a question you already know the answer to? <laughs> so yes, we are very thankful. Uh, and, you know, I'd like to propose maybe, maybe a way we can solve these issues um, is, uh, not to be repetitive, but through student voice. Um, why, do, why do we talk to these students? And uh, actually, next week, possibly, we might be having a special guest on the show that can tell us a little bit about that. Um, Ooh, but good, until then... Goody, goody. The reveal. Um, <laughs> we're going we're gonna to keep you all in suspense. Yeah, until then, we're going to leave you to wait, wander, ponder, and then when you're ready, tune in. Uh, <clears throat> and hopefully, if, if you ponder, ponder enough and you arrive at a new question, you can submit it to us. <laughs> And we can and we can puzzle even more people with it. <laughs> yes. Please don't make us come up with our own questions. <laughs> I mean That's so boring. Yeah, it's 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 I mean Sam and I already yell random questions at each other enough. But. I mean we comment on the wreath more times than you've I mean you ask these questions. I mean the wreath's not even here anymore. <laughs> that's that's the truth. Um So one one uh question is with with the Supreme Court interpreting Interpreting. How come you get the? How come you get the stand? Because you got it last time. There's there's a small stand. You, you may have listened to our last episode. Sam was overly proud. I'd say about. Oh, Sam's gonna get get a, a photograph of this. Uh, there's this beautiful beautiful stand that holds our watch or not our watch. It's just our phones. We use the we have this, we use the stopwatch to time ourselves. It's my watch for timing the trains. But. <laughs> Sam had it last time, and he was overly proud, I would say. So I'm very glad that it has become mine. It's now positioned over on my side of the, uh, my side of the desk. And, and I think that it's just, justice has been served. Um, so assuming that the Supreme Court rules on behalf of, uh, of the petitioner in this case, and they, they say that public schools, or uh, they, they say that some governmental organization or, or the private school in question has to reimburse the the tuition of this student. 
do you think that that would set forward a, a, a lot of precedents? I mean, where else have we seen issues like this? I mean, and not necessarily limited to special education. <clears throat> you know, well, I guess my, my first answer then would be, uh, we see this kind of a lot with, with, you know, personalized learning plans um, and, and how we kind of negotiate, not just for special needs students, but for students in general, how we reconcile that um, and, and how's the best way to go about it. I think right now what we need to focus on is, is creating more equitable education. Um, you know, something that Lindsay DeVos could not agree with or she just did not respond to um, from her sitting hearing. Uh, but, but creating a more equitable atmosphere well, I, you, you know, I, could I, be to a lot of students' benefit. I, I agree. I think that in terms of... You mentioned something very, very, very important. The, you referenced the accountability thing again, and I think that that is what is going to be the key issue in deciding cases like this. If we're reimbursing the tuition of schools that aren't necessarily held equally accountable as public schools, then this whole thing is a farce. Because the, the whole point was that public schools are bound to provide equal education to all of their students. And if we say that public schools can't provide education, I mean, within the bounds of their resource constraints to students that have special needs or students that have a preference in the way they're educators, students that have something that has to be mitigated for, but the schools that we are paying to fill that need aren't as accountable or equally accountable as the public schools, then I don't think that there's any reason to do this. I mean, it, we would be paying 70,000 taxpayer dollars to give tuition to a person to educate them on something that the school they are now going to doesn't even offer. I mean, I don't think that that would be smart or fiscally responsible. I mean, and those two typically go hand in hand. I'd say that most, uh, a lot of time they can't. But I think that it's something to consider when we, when we look at the idea of subsidizing education, and we can talk about school vouchers and whatnot for hours, but I think that this case simply highlights that this is a very, very pressing issue, one that has to be uh, extensively viewed, very extensively viewed, and, and I'm glad, again, that this, for the opportunity to discuss this, because it, 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 it has so many implications. I mean, the, the public subsidization of, of any private school tuition is already a very, very contentious issue. And when you add something as, as morally charged as equal education for special needs students, I think it becomes an even more deep issue to, to, to consider and to debate. Um, so, so with this, and I think this will be our, our final question for, for this episode. Sam, how do you think that we can make education more equitable and accountable, given the circumstances of the Supreme Court case. And if you can relate it back to the Supreme Court case, that would probably answer our, our friend's question very well. Uh, yeah, so, you know, much like, uh, much like we, we, when we looked at the Supreme Court case, um, which I now cannot find, um, you're right, Evan, it's a trap. You start to scroll, and then you can't stop scrolling, and then you can't find your way back. Uh, so, I think one of the things we have to look at 
through the lens of this judicial case is, is how we can redistribute funds to schools uh, in such a way... What? Redistribute? <laughs> Sam, that's a dangerous word. <laughs> no, you put me in a dangerous position. I really appreciate it. <laughs> you know, we have to keep each other sharp. <laughs> I'm going to get you for this. Um, you know, one of the things we have to do is, is we have to make sure that our money is being spent wisely. Um, and what that means, I think we have to do our research and find out. Uh, but through the lens of this, through the lens of this case, and in the in the point of view of um, special needs students, we need to find a budgetary plan that works best for everyone. Um, and and I may just be speaking platitudes, but we need some way to. You know, I I don't know, Evan. <laughs> I'm out of words today. Well, the, the, I think that we can. You know what, let's, let's take it back to the original question that started this. What responsibility and to what degree do public schools have in educating special needs students? Because there's an argument to be made that a special needs student, by definition, does not fall under the umbrella of public education. Because public education is meant to be, con is meant to be uh, designed to the demographic that is reflected most specifically in the public. And though you can argue for or against the definition of what public education should do, there are some who would say that a special needs student or a student that has a, a special uh, preference in their education or a student that has, you know, uh, who's unable to necessarily fit smoothly in with what the greater public represents, that those people don't necessarily, uh, they, they shouldn't be involved in public education. Personally, I think that that's, <laughs> That's the biggest platitude that anyone could speak, but there are some that would argue that. Do, do you do you think that that's a legitimate argument? Do you give that credence? I don't know. This is a very hard topic for me to speak on because I I just I don't know what's. It's a very it's a very sensitive subject. Indeed, it is. And I know people on both sides. So I, I I really I don't know how best to come at it. Um, I I think, hmm. I'd say that, the the best answer we can give is that it depends on the the public of the area. I mean, when when the Department of Education was first created, it was created with very, very little national control. And, and the, the object of it was to delegate as much power to localities as possible. And I think that that's something that's conducive to things like student voice. So I would like to see almost more local control over schools. I mean, with SBDMs, I'd like to see more students there. I'd like to see communities with schools in them contributing more but with that we can't forget the overall goal of public education which is to con contribute that education or not contribute but to extend that education to everyone regardless of their specific place within the community that's running that school so i think that it's a it's a question that requires a lot of balance in the answer the the purpose of the department of education is to educate everyone in, in an equally accountable manner. But the, the crux of it is when we say that education has to become more local, it has to become more centralized on the people that it's educating, and I think that that's something that will create more cohesion in the education. We can be... It's, it's, a, certain, it, it's a certain possibility that we can begin 
phasing people who don't necessarily fit into that community out. So it's something that we need to watch, and it's a, it's, this is definitely a very interesting case, and I, I thank this person again for the question. I'm not sure why they wanted to submit it anonymously. It's a fantastic question, but in any case... I think yeah, that don't was, be ashamed. Don't... Don't be Jeez. ashamed. Please. We'd, you know what? Come on. We'd, we'd love to have people on the show. Yeah, please. If, if, if the, I'm, I mean, obviously the person who submitted this is listening right now. Please come on the show. We, we'd love to have you. It would be fantastic. Don't, don't have stage fright. There's no stage even. There's stools here. Don't have stool fright. Right. right. <laughs> that, can, that can be taken <laughs> in one of two ways. ways. Yeah. But... Yeah. <laughs> Um, uh, with that, we're going we're gonna to go ahead and finish up. So this episode of Revolutionary Radio was written by Colton Williams and Kaylee Carson uh, and edited uh, by myself, Sam Swayze. Uh, Rohith Kasaraju helped produce this. Um, and my name is Sam Swayze, here today with Evan Hayes for Revolutionary Radio. Uh, again, you can find us at Twitter at RadRadio1 to submit any ideas or comments about the show, or you can email us at stories at revolutionaryradioky.com. Uh, you can subscribe to Revolutionary Radio on Google Play or the iTunes Store or wherever else you get your podcasts. Wherever you subscribe, please leave a review. It really, really does help other people find the show, and it helps us evaluate how the show can be improved. So with that, thank you for listening. We'll see you soon. Vive la revolution. There. Vive la revolution. <laughs>